0: Well, good morning. It's incredible to see you all here this morning. I know that the Lord is in this place because he is inside every single one of you. So there's a whole lot of Jesus in this place, amen? Amen, amen. amen. Well, we have a church picnic following the, the message this morning. And uh, we also have communion, so we gotta get to it. So everybody look at the person next to you, say, get to it. All right, this morning we're gonna talk about a, a concept. Last week I kinda left you guys with this This tug, this pull, this call that I really felt the Lord is putting on this church. And that was an emerging of generations where it's not one generation doing one thing and the other doing the other thing. And I don't know where those generational lines are, how we can define those or whatever. But the point is Christ has called us to be a body together. So this morning we're going to talk about the generations. I'm going to talk about how it is that God uses generations in his kingdom. The fact is, we are all still here. So it's not one or the other. It is all of us that are the body of Christ. And so it's going to take all of us to bring the kingdom to earth the way that Christ called us to. Amen? Amen. So, repeat after me. Everybody say, close the gaps. One more time. Everybody say, close the gaps. Now, when I was a kid... Um, and even still today I have gaps in my teeth. I don't know if you guys know this. I know you've probably looked at me and like, "Wow, Benji has gaps in his teeth. What's up with that?" That was rude, okay? I felt the judgment when you said that in your heart. Just want you to know, I have a gift of discernment. And in that gift of discernment, I sensed it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding but with gaps in teeth they have to put something called braces on your teeth and it brings things together and it can be a painful process and so it is when we begin to talk about the merging of generations because it seems like this painful thing not just for young people to submit to older people but for older people to have the time and the energy to mentor and disciple younger people so there is this there is this tension there is this pulling there is this tug there's this thing inside of us that's so resistant to what God is doing sometimes and maybe some of you are on fire like man I just need somebody to mentor. I need somebody to disciple. And maybe some of you are so hungry for somebody to disciple you and mentor you. The thing is, When the church began, the way that the church emerged was this natural relation, this connection. And you have Paul telling Timothy, make sure that the older women are discipling the younger women. Make sure the older men are discipling the younger men. Make sure there's this exchange of life going on. Make sure there's this pooling together of the generations because it is there that we find exactly what it is that God is up to. It is there that we discover strength and wisdom all in one. Amen. So somebody say, close the gaps. Don't say that to somebody with gaps in their teeth, though, because that's messed up, okay? Just want you to just want you to know that. We're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 2. And this is this little, this little um, piece of scripture. It's incredible. It says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. In the ancient world, and even today, stones, these massive stones we're talking about, we're not talking about little brick, we're talking about massive stones. If you've ever seen the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, they're these massive stones that are pieced together. They come out of something called a quarry. Quarries are these these places where they go and they chisel and they dig out massive sections of rocks, And they all come from the same place. And so when Peter's talking about you are living stones being built into the temple of God, he's referencing this idea in ancient culture where they knew all these stones are coming from the same place. And I want you to just think about something this morning. Last week we talked about in Hebrews chapter 11 these heroes of faith. We talked about Abraham, Moses, Noah, um, Jacob, Joseph, all these incredible people that we read about in Scripture. Your most incredible, like your favorite person in Scripture. Just imagine that person. Jesus in the flesh even. And all of those people have been taken out of the same stone quarry as you have. You are coming from the exact same place. God is taking you from the exact same place that he chose those ones from. And in that, he is saying, these are my stones and I will chisel these things. I will sand these things. If you're a stone and you're getting shaped and chiseled and sanded, it's probably not comfortable if the, stone could, if the stone could respond to the person, to the mason that is doing these things to it, it would probably not be comfortable. And some of you in this room have stories that are so heavy, so hard. You've been broken. You've been chiseled. You've been sanded. You've been, from every direction, it seems, life has come at you. And what I want you to know this morning is it was not meaningless. It was not meaningless. Somebody say it was not meaningless. Nothing is wasted. In God's hands, nothing is wasted. God wastes no thing. He will use it for the glory of the kingdom, for the glory of his own name. So your story matters. Your story means something. Your story is the stone that God is putting into this temple. You yourself are a living stone that God has formed and shaped to fit exactly where he's placing you, amen? What this means is you need to play your part, though. And we've been talking about this a lot lately because we need to do this as a church. I believe God's hand is over this church. I believe God wants to do something incredible in this church and the church across the world. But this is our home, so this is personal to us. I believe there's a move of God coming, but you need to play your part. Every single person in this room needs to play your part. Again, it can't be about me, it can't be about Pastor, on it can't be about the elders and the deacons. It's about the body of Christ coming together, recognizing I am my own stone placed into the temple of God for a purpose. Amen, amen. So stones are taken from a quarry; they're shaped to fit the need of whatever the building is. Interesting thing about stones: who's ever seen like a stone building? I would assume we would all raise our hand. Yeah, let's just raise our hand for exercise because it's so fun. Just raise the roof. Yeah, it's a good place. So. If you look at stones, it's, in, it's a really cool picture that God was demonstrating to me this past week. As a stone is placed, you start layer by layer. So you go one, two, three, you, just, you line them all up and you build from the bottom up and you, you put them together in layers. And after that layer is done, what happens? You throw on the next layer. And after that layer is done, what happens? You throw on the next layer. And the interesting thing about stones is they are surrounded. They are surrounded by other stones. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about three directions of living. So three directions of living. Everybody say the number three. Okay, so three directions of living. A stone is placed on top of something. It is held up by something. It is held up by another stone. And then in its own level, in its own layer, it is side by side other stones. And it's not just so that it can be glorified at the top of the the wall. It's there so that it can then hold up another level of stones. And so it is with the body of Christ. We are living stones built into the temple of God. And some of you are here this morning, not because it was just your own decision or choice, but it's because somebody else in your past, in your history, maybe it was last week. I don't know how long you've been, you've been a believer in Christ. It's because somebody held you up. Somebody held you up. Somebody held you up in prayer, somebody held you up when you were weak, when you were, when you were just feeble and it just seemed you felt like giving up. Some of your marriages in this room were saved because there were people that said, no, you are worth it to us and we will invest in helping you get through this time. And then on the contrary, some of us feel like there was never anybody holding us up. I know that that exists in this room. Some of us feel like if only I had people that were there to hold me up, if only I had people to give me strength that I needed, maybe, maybe everything would have been different. Maybe my marriage would have turned out differently. Maybe my kids would have turned out differently. I don't know what the specific situation is. The fact is when God builds stones, he does so systematically with intention and purpose. And if we don't play our part, the next generation, the next layer, the next level cannot play their part if we were to just strip out an entire, if we were to just rip out an entire layer of stones, an entire la- layer of brick, there's nothing for the next layer to stand upon. And everything else comes crumbling down. So this is really a call for every single one of us in the body of Christ to make a decision in our own hearts, I will play my part. So everybody repeat that, say, I will play my part. So stones, they're held up, they're side by side, and they hold up. We've been talking about, Moses and Joshua quite a bit this past month, it's been an incredible journey for me, I've learned a ton of things, I hope you guys have grown and learned a lot from the word, and this morning we're going to look at one more scripture, one more, one more piece of, uh, of their story together. Last week we learned about circumcision, we talked about when, when, when uh, Joshua brings them into the promised land. This week, I want to talk about what it was that relationship like between Moses and Joshua. What was that connection they had? What does, the, what does that look like in Scripture? So we're going to start in Joshua chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 5. This is a Scripture that many of us are very familiar with. At least the be strong and courageous part. We're very familiar with this part. Verse 5 says, No man, this is God speaking to Joshua, He says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? And listen to the repetition in God's voice. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is an incredible scripture and we could tear that scripture apart and we can put together a whole sermon series or months or years of sermon series off of what all these things mean and what God is speaking. Something that God was revealing to me is God's not using, I don't know if we know this, but I want to reveal something to you guys. God's not using new language here. This isn't something that that, uh, Joshua hasn't heard before. And what I mean by that is God is actually echoing something Moses spoke over Joshua in Deuteronomy chapter 31. And so if you'll turn with me real quick, Deuteronomy 31. This blew me away this week. I hope this blows you away. Like, wow, this is awesome. Somebody say the Bible's awesome. Now that you admitted it, you have to read it this week, okay? Just kidding. Deuteronomy 31, verse 7. Listen to this. Then Moses summoned Joshua. So Moses summons Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Every topic that God spoke of in Joshua chapter one was actually taken from something Moses spoke over Joshua's life in Deuteronomy 31. And this is important because here's what this means. The foundation that you are laying for those that you have chosen to disciple, the foundation that you are laying for those that God has called you to pour into, that is going to be the exact same foundation God will remind them of. Your words as spiritual fathers and mothers will be the exact same words God will speak over the upcoming generation when they begin to enter times of uncertainty. Joshua just lost his mentor, his father, this man that's invested and poured and, 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 and given and, and he's, he's, in, he's laid hands on him and he's, he's, he's passed on wisdom to him and leadership and, He's lost, jo, Joshua's lost this man in his life, this incredible moment where, where he just, he loses this thing that was so important to him. And so there's uncertainty because now he's faced with leading this tribe of Israel that has been so rebellious, so disobedient. And Joshua seen it. He's been there every day, all day. He has seen the good, he's seen the bad. He saw when Moses hit the rock, when God told him to hit the rock. And he saw Moses hit the rock when God didn't tell him to hit the rock. He's seen it all. And now he's facing his time. He's facing his moment. He's facing his destiny, his calling, his purpose. And there must have been fear for God to come in and say, do not fear over and over and over again. But what's beautiful to me about this text is God uses the exact same words that Moses spoke over Joshua. Your words matter. And I want to tell you this, church, your words matter. The generation that you're being called to hold up, the generation that held you up, every word of encouragement has mattered. It has mattered. It has made you into the person you are. And so a lot of times we get in this place where we think the church is going to go one way and some whole group of people is going to do it. No, we all need to do our part. We all need to play our part in the wall. So everybody, one more time, say, I'm going to play my part. Spiritual parents speak identity into their children. Now, this doesn't happen if fathers don't father and mothers don't mother. The encouraging words that the upcoming generations need, the encouraging words that you all need, it doesn't happen if fathers don't play father and mothers don't play the role of mother. And we see this in the natural It's not just a spiritual thing. We see this in the natural. We see when fathers aren't the father that God designed them to be. We see when mothers don't play the role of mother that God designed them to. And some of us have wounds and scars in our own lives, maybe even on our physical bodies, from what it looked like to have somebody that dishonored the role God gave them. The body of Christ is not to be the same at all. The body of Christ is supposed to be a place where fathers take on the role of father. And I'm speaking both naturally and spiritually. You take on your role. You carry it well. You train well. You disciple well. I'm not talking about indoctrinating people. I'm talking about you live your life as an example of Christ so that the upcoming generation sees exactly what it looks like. Man, that's what it looks like to love Jesus. That's what it looks like to be in love. Amen? Amen. Joshua was always with Moses. The past couple weeks, we've been talking about the beautiful mundane. I thought the beautiful mundane was going to be just this series. It seems like God is telling me the beautiful mundane is actually going to be something that's going to be at the foundation of my whole spiritual journey my whole walk is understanding that it's through the every single day things, it's through the ordinary, it's through changing diapers, it's through driving a school bus, it's, it's whatever it is that you do for a living, it's your day-to-day things that God uses as your training grounds for greatness. And we can't miss the beautiful mundane because Joshua, his training grounds was, it was the wilderness. It was the mundane wilderness every day standing side by side with Moses. That was his training ground. And we can't miss the beauty of what God is doing every single day, what God is speaking into, into the universe, what God is speaking to you through circumstances and situations and, and other people's words, what God is always speaking, what God is always saying. You can't miss it in just the day to day things. Don't miss it because He's always speaking to you. He's always speaking to you. So Joshua was always with Moses. Now, to me, it's beautiful to see just the connection that, that, that the very first things God, this is like one of the first times we see God actually one-on-one speaking to Joshua. He speaks to him in Deuteronomy chapter 32, I believe, but this is one of the longest things that we see God speak to Joshua, and it's all coming from his spiritual father. Now, I want everybody to, to begin to ask yourself, older generation, who can I reach out to? Who can I reach out to? Because there's plenty of people in this room for you to reach out to. And younger generation. And I'm not just talking about teenagers or young adults. I'm talking about those that genuinely need spiritual parenthood. Who can pour into you and go after it. Go after it. Amen? Amen. So in Exodus chapter 17, I was debating, reading the story of, um, I was praying about it this week if we were going to read about Jericho. And God said no. He wanted us to go to the, the very first battle that Joshua ever fights. The very first battle Joshua ever fights. And this is the battle against um, Amalek. This is in Exodus chapter 17. So if you turn to Exodus chapter 17 with me. And we're just going to start in verse 8. It says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, "Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand." So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, or while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it. The Lord is my banner saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Somebody say the generations need each other. They need each other. I want to talk about the staff. In this image, we see two, two different items being used. We see a staff and we see a sword. And we cannot confuse who is carrying which one. And we need to understand what each one represents. Moses carried the staff. The staff represented authority. The staff represented the anointing of God. It represented the presence of God with the people. That is the older generations. You carry authority. You carry carry the authority of God over this church right now because God has placed you in this place. And God has trusted you with the staff, not so that it doesn't do anything, but so that when Joshua, when the generation of Joshua needs to go out to battle with the sword of strength, that the generation with the staff is there lifting their hands in prayer and support and encouragement, doing everything they can to be sure that the Joshuas can be successful. We need to each do our part. And at the same time, the staff didn't win the war all by itself. Joshua had to wield a sword. And so the younger generation, at the same time, you need to take your place, take your role. You need strength and you need to get out there and fight. But it can't be one without the other. To remove authority or to remove physical strength is to result in weakness. And it's the exact same thing as stripping out layers of bricks at a time and expecting the building to stand. It won't happen. It won't happen. It needs to be a unity of both. God's heart is not about separation of humanity. It is about unifying humanity. It is about bringing humankind together. The book of Colossians is incredible when it comes to this revelation. And Paul writes about this, how God, through Christ Jesus, is bringing all things together in him. And it's the same with the generations. It's the exact same thing with the generations. So, if you're, old, if you're over the age of 50, I want you to raise your hand. That's awesome. Let's honor them. Clap your hands. Everybody clap your hands for those people. I'm saying 50 because 50 just seems like the middle. So we'll just go with that. If you're under 50, I want you to raise your hand. Wow. Hey, guys, did you realize what just happened? That's like 50-50. That's like half and half. It looks like everybody in this room could have a personal disciple. Whoa. Kind of like God planned it. Kind of, who knows. The older generation, you have wisdom and you have authority that we do not have. I won't stand up here and pretend that I know everything. I won't stand up here and pretend that I can, that I can run a church at the age of 26. I will not stand up here and pretend that I have both the staff in my hand and the sword. I do not, that is not mine yet. It is not mine. I have a sword and I need people that have staves to be in prayer and support. And you need me to have a sword in my hand. Otherwise, we're all doomed anyway. We need each other. God uses both generations simultaneously. Simultaneously. And it's sad that in our culture, and I don't, I mean, I don't mean this, like in ancient culture, the older generation, they lived in your home till, till the day they died. And I don't want to like even touch that topic or anything because it's sensitive, but there cannot be a disregard where we begin to deem people as unvaluable any like where they no longer have anything to offer. That is not true. That is not true. The older generation, it wasn't until Moses was taken by God himself. He was still leading till the day God took him. He still possessed the staff till the moment that God took him and we need to embrace that and we need to honor that and we need to respect that and it's the younger generation that have strength and and some sort of developing abilities that God's giving us and we need that too we need that too it can't just be i mean if you're older, if you're over 50 i mean if you're over 40 at this point i'm 26 and there's already things i can't do that i was able to do like 3 years ago i don't get i threw out my back a couple of weeks ago that doesn't happen at the age of 26 so I don't know what I was doing. I was dancing hardcore, I guess. I don't know what happened, but I seriously threw out my back so bad. But as you age, as we get to this place in our lives, there becomes thi- that there's things that you cannot do anymore. You just can't do it. And that's not accidental. God has designed it so that the two generations are constantly helping one another because there's things that we can't figure out. For example, when I was in high school, um, I was less mature than I am now, okay? I was very... It's just stupid, just really stupid. And I'm gonna tell you a really horrible story. I had a BMW. It was awesome. I bought it with all my own money. I thought I was super mature, thought I was all grown up because I'm buying my own cars. Even my dad signed for it, but I, it was my money. So you know, I had that attitude as a high schooler. Like, it's my car. I can do what I want. I was at high school. It was Santa Fe High. There was this big dirt pile, um, this big dirt parking lot. They've recently paved it, probably because of me. Um, because what I used to do is I would ditch class and I would go into my BMW and I would just drift. I would do, I would do, um, what are they called? Donuts. I would do donuts all throughout this dirt parking lot in this automatic BMW. And if that's not stupid enough, my cousin Izzy was hanging out the window the whole time. Just like, whoo, this is awesome. And there's dust like pluming him in the face and it was awesome. And we thought we were hilarious. We need wisdom. The younger generation really needs wisdom because he could have died. He could have died and I could have, my whole life could have fallen apart because of one stupid choice. And there's a lot of us in this room that regret that one stupid choice that we made. There's a lot of us in this room that wish we could go back to that night with that person and just say no. There's a lot of us that wish we could go back to that moment in that classroom and just keep our mouths shut. We need wisdom. And so God designed something so beautiful called the church so that both wisdom and strength could exist side by side. Amen? Amen. So take it up. Take up your staff to the older generation. Take up your sword to the younger generation. And here's the two things that I think will get in the way of this. Exhaustion. For the older generation, it's real, and I understand, it's really easy to get exhausted and feel like, well, I don't want to mentor somebody. Well, you should have read the fine print a little closer when Jesus told you about the Great Commission, because that's your job. That's not an option. Discipleship isn't a calling. It's a commandment. It is a commandment. And when discipleship fails, the church will fail. It just will, because that is the built-in method of which God grows his body. He called it discipleship. And without it, there can be no growth. Now, on the opposite side of discipleship, on the opposite side of exhaustion, is this attitude of independence. And now I'm speaking to the younger generation. And you, so, you know where you're at in life. You know whether or not you can mentor somebody or whether or not you need to be mentored. The younger generation, we can have this attitude of independence that says, I have it all together. I have it all figured out. I don't need help. Oh, believe me, you need help. Believe me, you need help. And I'm telling you, this older generation's looking at you like, oh my goodness, you need help. Like, I don't know what's going on with you guys. You need help. You need help. These are relationships. These are God-given covenant relationships that are a necessity to the body of Christ. And get this. Everybody say, it's not about us. One more time, say it's not about us. In the book of Ephesians, it says God gave us the church, which is the manifold presence of who God is. It's a demonstration of who God is to the world. See, it's not about us. It's about the glory of God. It is about the glory of God. And the glory of God is the only thing that is gonna bring this broken world to peace. I'm not saying the peace is, to peace, shalom, This place of being at peace, in wholeness with God. It is about the glory of God. So whether we disciple or whether we don't disciple, it's not just about you. It's not just about your time. It's not just about your schedule. It is about the glory of God. Exhaustion and independence must die in us. They must be put on the cross. They must be put on the cross because that is part of our call as a church, as the body of Christ this is part of our call. So take up your staff, take up your sword. Amalek in the text gets repeated over and over again throughout the Old Testament, so much so that the early rabbis used to use the word Amalek to identify all of their enemies. All of their enemies would be tagged with that word, Amalek, Amalek. If you go to um, the book of Esther, Mordecai, the one who's against, I mean, not Mordecai, Haman, the one who's against Mordecai and the Jews, they called him an Amalekite. Whether he actually was or wasn't, wasn't the point in the Hebrew text. The point was he was being identified with the enemy that Israel kept facing and facing over and over and over again. We have an Amalek out there. We have an enemy out there. We have this thing, this force, the prince of the powers or whatever we want to call it that is against the move of God. And God, I don't know if you know this, God isn't about just sending down a fiery sword and making the enemy scatter. Instead, God said, I want mankind to take this place alongside of me to demonstrate to the world that Christ inside of humanity can completely light up the darkness, So he called you a light. He called you a house. He called you a temple. He said, you are the very dwelling place of the presence of God. And then he gave us this thing that we've tagged as an institution. He gave us this movement. He gave us this reality. He gave us this better way of living. And then we call it church. And he said, and there make disciples, make disciples. We need each other. Mark Twain said this. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. <laughs> when I was a teenager, I was, the same, I was in the same place. I, I mean, you guys know this. My parents have been here at the church for, with me for a couple years now. They're incredible, incredible people. I had incredible spiritual oversight. Yeah, I want, let's clap. I want to honor my, my parents. They're incredible people. But when I was a boy, I thought the same way. I thought, man, they don't know what they're talking about. It's not like they've ever been my age before. You know, the stupid things we come up with as kids, we really need wisdom. Like we come up with the stupidest excuses. It's like, it was like, um, Aaron telling Moses, yeah, I threw in the gold and out came a calf. You know, like that's kind of how our rationality, that's how our rationality works. And it's because our brains aren't fully developed till we're like 25. Like that sucks. That was unfortunate. (laughs) We really think we're on it. Like we think we're doing the right things. We aren't. I used to think that way. And then I got married. I got married at the age of 19. Me and Cece were 19. Everybody told me, you should probably wait. And I didn't. We got married because we knew what we were doing. And the Lord blessed it. The Lord honored it. But I will tell you what, man, that first year of marriage, 19, imagine two 19-year-olds married. We didn't, know, we didn't know anything about life. We didn't know anything about life. And it was suddenly, all of a sudden, man, like, it was like night and day, suddenly like, oh, my gosh, my parents know what they're talking about. Like, they were right about this. And since that day, when I had this moment of awakening, when I had this enlightenment where all of a sudden it was like, man, they, they have wisdom. They have wisdom, and I don't want to take that for granted. You know, I don't want to take that for granted. And I want us in this church, and I'm speaking to the younger generation, there is an attitude of independence that says you can do this all by yourself. Wake up call. No, you can't. And God did not design you to do it by yourself. He did not design you to figure this thing out on your own. He assembled this thing so that you would have a layer of stones beneath you, holding you up as you lived side by side with other stones so that one day you could hold up the next generation. Amen? Everybody say follow and lead. One more time, say follow and lead. In Judges chapter 2, Go to Judges chapter 2. I know I have you skipping all throughout your Bible. You're going to get really good at, you know, figuring out where all the books are. Judges is right after Joshua, and I don't know what it's before. So you could figure that out. (laughs) Just kidding. Judges chapter 2, verse 6. And this is heartbreaking, and I want us to see this. I hope we can connect with this text. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went to each went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years old. Question, I don't know how a nun had Joshua. I thought that wasn't like okay, but I guess it is. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I had to say it, it just popped out of the text. It was a joke from the Holy Spirit. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Verse nine, and they buried him, they buried Joshua within the boundaries of his inheritance at Timnah Hares in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, meaning they all died and they were buried there or buried in their own inheritance. And this is sad And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And then the book of Judges is all about a people who did not know God of intimacy. Now get get this. It's impossible. It's literally impossible that this generation didn't know about God. Because Joshua and all the elders were constantly putting up monuments They were constantly putting up what are called standing stones, these images, these things that would tell the story of who God is and what he's done and how he brought them through. So it wasn't about that they hadn't heard of God. It wasn't that a generation arose that hadn't heard of God. It's that a generation arose that didn't know God personally. And so we see from Moses A passing of the torch from Moses to Joshua, and everything goes so fluid, beautiful. But something happens where from Joshua to the next generation, we never hear about Joshua mentoring or discipling anybody. And I'm not here to like bash on Joshua. Maybe he was just really busy fighting all these battles and wars. The fact is, though, the next generation didn't know God intimately the way that Joshua knew God from Moses. And so the anointing of Israel fell apart. And the whole book of Judges is about a nation that falls apart because they don't know the Lord their God anymore. And so we have this whole story throughout the book of Judges of them having to be brought back and then they walk away and then brought back and then they walk away. Why? Because discipleship didn't happen. The anointing wasn't passed on. And we don't just see this with Joshua. We see the same thing, the same thing in 2 Kings with Elijah to Elisha. Elijah was this great man of God, this great prophet, and he gives into this fear and this exhaustion, and then God tells him, okay, go to this place, and you're going to find a man named Elisha, and on him, place your mantle. So Elijah does. Elijah, everybody say Elijah, and everybody say Elisha. Okay, just remember J before S, and you'll, ha- you'll be okay. Okay, Elijah came first. Okay, little, little Bible tricks. Elijah finds Elisha plowing the field, and he walks up to him, and he drops a mantle. On his shoulders. And I don't even, we can't, we don't have time to go into the beauty of that text, but Elisha becomes his protege. Elisha becomes his mentor. We don't hear about Elisha for another four years. Four years of his life just gone. We don't hear about it. All we know is that he was walking side by side with Elijah the entire time. And what was he doing? He was using the beautiful mundane things of life and he was learning and growing to be exactly who God wanted him to be. And so the mantle gets passed. You know the story. Elijah gets caught up in a whirlwind of fire, chariots of fire, and he disappears. He goes to be with God and the mantle, the mantle falls and, and Elisha picks it up, he takes it up and he goes to the Jordan and he hits the water and the water split. And so it's, a, it's, it's confirmation that yes, the anointing is passed. This now is the prophet. This now is the prophet. But if you read in 2 Kings verse 13, so you can go there if you want to turn your Bibles, it'll be on the screen if you don't want to. Some of you guys are getting tired of flipping through your Bibles. I see it all over your face. Like, no, another text? Oh, my goodness. This is so much. I'm going to get paper cuts. I'm just kidding. Somebody thought that was funny. Thank you. Hmm. 2 Kings 13, verse 20. This is Elisha. It says, so Elisha died, and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha, and as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. And we read that as a miracle. I actually think it's a tragedy. It's cool that the man came back to life. I'm sure he was pumped about that. But you know what this means? It means the anointing that God put in Elijah, that Elijah passed on to Elisha in a double portion, it died with him. It died with Elisha. It stayed in his bones. He didn't pass it on to anybody. We don't read in the text of Elisha taking somebody on -on one-on-one to train him up as as a prophet. We see he has some servants. But he never intentionally passes on the anointing that God put on his life. And what happens? The anointing dies with Elisha, and it stays in his bones. Your story isn't just about you. Your calling isn't just about you. Your purpose isn't just about you. The mantle that God has put on your shoulders isn't so that you can keep it with you to the grave. It is so that you can find someone else that you can bring up beside you and pass that thing on to. And we see exponential growth from Elijah to Elisha. We see a double anointing. There should be quadruple anointings. And there should be anointings to numbers I can't even express. But if the mantles are not passed on, if we are not intentional about passing on the meaning and purpose of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives, it dies with you. And that's heavy. But we need to face that because the text represents that. You know what happens after Elisha dies? Then you have all these kings that go back and forth and back and forth, searching for a prophet, looking for somebody who hears the voice of the Lord. Because Elisha, and again, I'd love to ask these questions when I get to heaven, but for some reason, the anointing died with him. For some reason with Joshua, the anointing died with him. And that is not the way God designed things. So we see in Matthew eighteen eighteen, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's the same thing that God told Joshua at the end of Joshua chapter one, verse nine. I'll always be with you. I'm with you to the end of the age, Jesus is telling his disciples. What's the point? The point is that God made a better way. Where Joshua failed, where Elisha failed to keep the mantle going, God said, no, you keep this thing going. And you are sitting in this seat this morning because somebody kept that mantle going. Because somebody in your life kept passing on what was handed to them. But now we each must make the decision to either take up our staff or take up our sword and say, I will pass this thing on. And I'm not saying right now in this moment, it is about the beauty of the mundane. It is about every single day, intentional living together, side by side, stone temples. It's about being surrounded by one another. That way the anointing passes. And it keeps passing. And as the next layer gets built on, it gets passed up. And as the next layer gets built on, it gets passed up again. You were held up. You stood on someone's shoulders at one point in time. Now we're living side by side. So we manage the weight. We manage the weight of the next generation coming. Just like Moses needed Aaron and her to hold up his arms, he couldn't do it by himself. I'm not telling you to do it by yourself. Older generation, you have each other, so live together. Live life together. Live side by side. You need somebody to hold up your hands. And the whole point of it is so you can hold up. So you can carry somebody else on your shoulders. Whether it was Jesus to his disciples, Paul to Timothy or Titus, the point is discipleship. And without it, there's no motion. Without it, there's no growth. Without it, there's no future. And I believe the church has a future but I also believe God gave us the method as to how that actually happens. And it isn't prayer revivals. It isn't just coming together and worshiping. It's intentional living together. Those things are beautiful. But if we do those things outside of discipleship, it's not gonna last very long. Everybody, does that make sense? First Corinthians 11.1 one says this, imitate me, this is Paul. And as, as I've been a youth pastor, this has been this has been the standard for my life. This has been what I've adopted in my life, and this is what I want to hand on to you guys. First 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says this imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So somebody asked me, so how do we do this? How, do we, how are we supposed to mentor somebody? And that's, maybe that's scary. Maybe it's scary to think of like, maybe you feel like you don't have it all together. That's okay. You're still a stone being carved. And until the day you die, you're gonna be a stone being carved and shaped and in the process. What is the method? Pursue Christ and invite people to follow you. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. How do we do this? You pursue Christ with everything that you are and you invite other people to join you. And let them learn from your life. Don't hide the mistakes. Don't hide the blemishes. Don't hide the painful stories. Those two are things that God desires to use in you. To show the generation upcoming what it is to look like Christ. Amen. First Peter 2, 5, close with this. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. That is you. That is who you are. Everybody say, I'm a living stone living stone we're going to take communion so we can start getting communion ready then we have the barbecue afterward i'm going to close in prayer before we get started with communion but as we go into this next moment where we're going to have food together that's a perfect opportunity for you to start asking the voice of god lord who do you want me to reach out to i'm a youth pastor that doesn't mean i'm the only one who should be pouring into the youth okay we have all these ministries that exist That doesn't mean that only the person over that ministry should be the person ministering to those people. We need you. We need you. Find somebody. Pray about it. Ask the Lord, God, who do you want me to reach out to? And how can I do that? Okay? Amen. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this morning. Jesus, just this opportunity, God, this call of what it means to live life side by side, God. And Lord, we we honor those, Father, that, that were the bricks beneath us, God. We honor those that were the stones beneath us that held us up into this place, God. And as we live side by side, our brothers and sisters, God, I pray that we too would honor your commandment, God, and we would begin to lift people over our own heads as well. God, we would be able to to help other people rise to to places we never could have. God, the walls should be getting bigger. The anointing should be greater. And Lord, I pray that we would celebrate that in one another, Father, together as a church. May this become a place, God, may this become a center where disciples are made. God, where stones are shaped, God, and where your temple is, is honored and glorified because of how beautiful it is to see people genuinely in love with one another. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Let's lift up a shout of praise for our God.